Hey everyone, welcome to the Red Justice Project. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chelsea. Today's story takes place in the community we both grew up in, Robinson County, North Carolina. This case hits close to home, not only because it's the area we're from, but the background and details of the case are just so gruesome and rattle our tight-knit community. Today's case is about the abduction and brutal murder of 13-year-old Anya Aguilar. So Lumberton, North Carolina is the largest town in Robinson County, and it's the county seat, but for the most part, it's still a pretty rural area. So about 40% of the population in the county is Native American, and most of the most of that 40% is Lumbee. And then about 7% of the county's population or the town's population is Latinx. Um, so together, they make up about half of the population that are indigenous to the Americas. So back to Anya. Anya was a 13-year-old girl who lived with her family in Rosewood Mobile Home Park. Her family immigrated to the U.S. from Guatemala. Her friends and family described her as kind, caring, vivacious, with a bubbly personality. Her favorite color was purple. She lived with her mother and family, and she was a 7th grade student at Lumberton Junior High School. Like most teenagers, she had dreams and plans for a bright future. She actually wanted to join the military after she graduated. And then another quick thing, she also played in the band, and I can't remember what instrument she played, but my little cousin um, used to also be in the band at the same school, and he was one grade ahead of her, but they were in the band together, so he knew Anya. So on the morning of November 5th, 2018, Anya wakes up, she gets ready, and she's preparing to go to school that day, and so she went outside to warm up the family's car just before 7 a.m. that Monday morning. God, I used to hate having to do that for um, mama every morning. Um, so warming up the car in cold weather before school was pretty commonplace um, in my family. I don't know about you, Brittany, um, but definitely for me. It was one of the things I'd done for my mama since elementary school, and I never in a million years could have imagined something bad happening from just going to crank the car in my yard. As we mentioned before, Anya and her family lived in Rosewood Mobile Park a mobile home park located right in Lumberton off a of major road, so there were plenty of neighbors around. So sometime before 7 a.m., the unthinkable happened. Witnesses in the mobile home park say that a man wearing black clothes with a yellow bandana around his face forced Anya into the SUV she was warming up and quickly drove away. Other witnesses heard her scream as she was being abducted. In everything that I read, it's unclear if she had already hopped out of the SUV and then he approached her right outside of it or if she was actually already in the car when he got in and forced her to stay. So the first 911 call that morning was made at 6.56 a.m. by a relative who had ran to the neighbor's house to call and were unsure of why they had to go to the neighbor's house. I can't find that in any of the news reportings on this. But there were some security cameras inside the mobile home park and the cameras could pick up the SUV actually exiting the mobile home park at a rapid speed. Yeah, and right away her family knew something had happened to Anya and that she had been kidnapped. Law enforcement was called, and there was a search party um, actually pretty quickly on the scene. An Amber Alert was issued through the state of North Carolina by 10 a.m., so just three hours after her disappearance. On the first day of the search, hundreds of leads came in, but the whereabouts of Anya and her abductor remained unknown. The next day, on November 6th, 
Anya's mother issued a statement in Spanish pleading for her daughter to be returned. And Brittany, do you want to read some of it? Okay, so it says, I just want my daughter back. I'm here waiting for you. I love you and I only care about you and I don't have anything against whoever did this to you. I just want you back. And also in the live interview with her, she talks about how Anya is good and how she doesn't have the words to describe how she feels. She spoke about her family suffering and how much Anya's sisters just wanted her to come back home. And here's some of the clip. Mi hija no es una niña mala, como están especulando. No es una niña que tal vez se haya huido con alguien y que Dios bendiga a la persona que la lleva. Soy una persona de fe, creo en Dios, lo he creído siempre. Yo sé que mi hija está bien contigo, donde quiera que la tengas. Dios está bendiciendo. No te guardo rencor, porque creo en Dios. Creo que volverá. Yeah, you could definitely hear the agony in her mama's voice. Um, my heart, heart really broke for her to come to this country as an immigrant for a safer and better life for your family. And all of a sudden, your 13-year-old daughter is kidnapped from right outside your home. I cannot begin to imagine how terrified she was and not been able to understand everything going on since she was not a native English speaker and may not have understood all of the questions being asked of her by law enforcement and reporters. And I also remember at this time, there were a lot of rumors circulating online within our community. I remember people saying that she was in Charlotte with her boyfriend or that a drug cartel was somehow involved in her disappearance. And then as time goes on, these false stories end up being disproved. And the FBI actually thanked the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department for checking on a reported sighting of Anya, which turned out to be false, of course, and urged the public against spreading rumors. But just think. Someone was probably sitting around and speculating, and then that speculation turned into someone presenting it as a theory, and then that theory ended up in someone presenting it as a fact to somebody else. And these are the main reasons why missing people, or some of the main reasons why missing people don't get found, because people sow false narratives into investigations that end up resulting in investigating unnecessary leads. I just remember reading those things online and being shocked and, and thinking that they were not they did not seem very factual to me. Yeah, I remember hearing a couple of those rumors during that time as well. But law enforcement were working really hard on this. They even set up something called an electronic dragnet of all the cell phone data around the area where she lived starting at 4 a.m. until 12 p.m. on the day she was kidnapped. This means that anyone who had a cell phone who was in that area at the time that was connected to Google would be recorded in a log. Now, the tap on the parents' phones wouldn't really pan out, but the dragnets would prove to be very important later on. By that Wednesday, two days after Anya was kidnapped, a $15,000 reward was offered for information leading to finding Anya and her kidnapper. By that Thursday, one of the first major breaks in the case occurred. The car was found, without Anya or the abductor in it. So, the SUV was found because of a 911 call. Someone had called saying that they saw the green expedition backed into the woods on Quincy Drive. And I tried to Google map this so the exact address where it was found wasn't released. But that road is kind of a short road and it's approximately 8.5 miles from her home. And that same exact day that they found the SUV, authorities also released surveillance video of a man walking in Anya's neighborhood the morning she disappeared. 
Although authorities did not identify him, he matched the description witnesses had of a man with dark clothes and a yellow bandana covering his face. So by Tuesday, November 13th, now this is eight days after the kidnapping and five days after the car was found, things were intensifying in Robinson County. The FBI and Governor Roy Cooper were offering a $30,000 reward for anyone with information about Anya's location. And just two weeks later, after 800 leads and 400 interviews, the search for Anya ended. Her body was found off Wiregrass Road in Lumberton, just five miles from where the car was found. The condition of her body was not immediately released to the public, but she was found in a small pond that was about four feet deep, seemingly weighed down by a plastic table with a black tire holding it down. This next part is hard to say, but she was found naked and it was clear that she had been raped. A report later released by the chief medical examiner stated that she most likely died of suffocation though they were unable to determine her official cause of death. I remember finding out that she had been found and just kind of feeling like, um, I don't really know how to explain it, but like my soul sunk. That's the best way that I can describe it. I just wanted her to be found safely. I think our community was so wrapped up in this case and so wrapped up in finding Anya and making sure that she was safe, that it was just really something that was really important to me. And also because my little cousin knew her at school. And so it kind of felt personal to me in that way. Um, and I don't know, just to know that her body was found in such a disrespected state, like she was naked and it was um, in the cold. I think I read that the water in the pond that she was found in was actually 40 degrees. And I mean, whoever did this has to be the sickest person alive And I mean, that was so much disrespect because this girl was a child. You know, she was just totally defenseless and this is just sick to me. But after she was found, more than 1,000 people attended her funeral, which was held at Lumberton Senior High School. Since her favorite color was purple, there were purple balloons, purple flowers, purple bows all across the gym where the funeral was held. There were also songs sung in both English and Spanish. And afterwards, Marines transported her casket to the Meadowbrook Cemetery in Lumberton with a horse-drawn carriage. I actually think that was a really sweet gesture of the Marines to come out, considering um, that's the career path she wanted to take after high school. Yeah. Um, You know, another thing that's kind of just so jacked up about the situation, though, with the funeral, um, is that her dad, who lived in Guatemala, was denied a temporary visa um, to actually attend the funeral. Um, And Governor Cooper, who's the governor of North Carolina, actually wrote a letter after he was denied asking the U.S. ambassador in Guatemala to reconsider the decision to. um, I think that shows just how much her death had impacted um, not only our kind of close community, but the state as a whole. Yeah, and I remember when they denied his visa, I just honestly could not believe that our country could be that trash. I remember that there was a petition going around and it had, I think, 10,000 signatures to try to get him permission to come for the funeral. And it's just incomprehensible to me how sadistic it is to deny a parent that right. Like the situation is already as bad as it can possibly be. And then to deny him the right to bury his child is just adds a whole other layer of wrong to this. By November 9th, A day after the car was found, investigator Hackney asked for another electronic dragnet near Quincy Road where the car was found. And the same day, a woman called the tip line with the name of the man she believed to be Anya's murderer, Michael Ray McClellan. On December 8th, 
So just a week or two after Anya was found, it was announced that authorities had actually arrested Michael Ray McClellan of Fairmont, North Carolina, for the murder, rape, and kidnapping of Anya. They had obtained a DNA sample from the SUV that was stolen to kidnap Anya, and that matched the DNA already present in the system. He was actually already in police custody on a separate charge. In Anya's case, he faces 10 felony charges. First-degree murder, first-degree forcible rape and statutory rape of a person 15 or younger, first-degree sex offense and statutory sex offense of a person 15 or younger, first-degree kidnapping, larceny, restraint, abduction of a child, and concealment of a death. Also, he was in prison with no bond, so he has no chance of getting out. So, you know, obviously this man being locked up is ideal, but Anya's murder should never have happened in the first place. So, not just because it's sick and heinous and evil, but because McClellan's DNA, once they tested the sample that they found in the truck, also connected him to an unsolved rape case that occurred in 2016. Authorities already had McClellan's DNA in their system because of crimes that he had committed prior to 2016, but the 2016 rape kit was never tested to see if there was a match. So for this case, a woman was in her home at night when McClellan broke in after taking out her window unit air conditioner. And she had a gun and went to shoot him, but for some reason the gun did not fire. And McClellan had a knife which he used to attack her and then he raped her and stole from her. So then she must have either went to the police or to the hospital and reported the rape because a rape kit was done at the time that did produce McClellan's semen. But the kit was never tested. And of course his DNA was already in the system because his crimes began as early as 2007. And I mean, just imagine if more time and resources were spent towards processing rape kits in North Carolina, Anya may very well still be alive today. So according to the organization called In the Backlog, there were over 15,000 untested rape kits in North Carolina alone in 2018. An internal investigation with the Robinson County Sheriff's Office was actually conducted because of the 2016 case and the mishandling of the information that could have placed McClellan behind bars a lot sooner. As a result, one investigator was fired and another resigned. So in June of this year, District Attorney Matt Scott, who by the way is the first Native American District Attorney in the state of North Carolina, announced that the state would seek a capital case, leaving McClellan to face the death penalty if found guilty of the charges connected with Anya's murder. And also from the electronic dragnet that was placed near where the car was found, police were able to identify who Michael was calling on the day of the kidnapping. He reportedly called a woman named Patricia Jacobs, who was his girlfriend at the time, as well as her mother's phone, over 100 times in the seven days after Anya was kidnapped. Patricia met with law enforcement on November 11th and called McClellan's phone, presumably to identify where he was. So, you know, I always think it's interesting how the public didn't know anything about a suspect being taken in until December 8th, but in reality, law enforcement had pretty much solved the case by November 11th, so just a few days after the incident occurred, they just had not found Anya yet. And also, according to an ABC 15 News article by Tanya Brown, two witnesses reported seeing McClellan right after the abduction. They said that at about 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning on the day that Anya was taken, so just about two hours afterwards, he arrived at the home of the witnesses in Deerfield Mobile Home Park. 
Now, this trailer park is about eight miles from Anya's home and also in the general area where the truck and her body were later found. But the witnesses go on to say that when McClellan showed up, he was wet and had a cup with coins in it. And he said that he wanted to sell two video monitors. And when the SUV was found, it was missing all three items. So the cup of coins and then both video monitors. Wait, so if he was wet and Anya was found in a ditch or small pond filled with water, does that mean he had already killed her and left her there? So that's very possible because he probably couldn't have left Anya in the car alive out of fear that she would run. So he either had to have already left her or have already killed her and left her in the car. And the witnesses also say that he wanted to wash his clothes there. And they reported that he was wearing the same clothing that folks had seen him wearing when he took Anya. So that same black clothing with the yellow bandana. So it's very likely that he um, had already killed her and wanted to then get rid of the evidence. They also said that while he was there, the Amber Alerts went off on their phones. So I'm sure they stopped to check them and then probably even discussed it in front of him. Wow, yeah. I also read that another friend of his had talked with him before he kidnapped and killed Anya. They said he was talking about wanting to commit a robbery and scoped out three different trailer parks. But he talked about Rosewood, where Anya was taken from, and said that there were a lot of Hispanics there and, quote, that they had money and drugs. Um, I'm not sure what that means. But he also told them that the reason he wears a bandana is so people wouldn't know he was black and instead think he was Hispanic and maybe in a gang like the Latin Kings. So that's why he covered his face. So yeah, an even bigger coward than we thought. And also the knowledge that this gruesome crime was racially motivated just adds another level of sickness to it. And just think, he said his goal was to get money and drugs, but ended up leaving with a cup full of change. He's clearly a sexual predator and his main goal is to harm someone, to harm a girl. So he was scheduled to appear in court in September, but we're unsure of the status of his case other than uh, that he was denied bond. However, in April of 2020, several people received alerts that said that he had been released from prison. Yes, you all heard that right. Released. So the North Carolina Statewide Automated Victim Assistant assistance and notification system sent text messages out saying that he had been released but this message was only indicating that he had served his sentence for his previous crime so remember he was already in jail when he was arrested for Anya's murder so he completed that sentence but he's still being held on the charges related to Anya's murder and also just in doing research into his criminal past he has committed a lot of robbery so he's stolen cars he's held people at gunpoint assault with a deadly weapon and then of course the rape of a woman in 2016 but as of may it was reported that he had a june court date but we can't find any articles about a court date having happened so his status is kind of up in the air uh, but he does have two court appointed attorneys and one thing that did touch my heart in the aftermath of this horrific crime was just the outpouring of love in the community. I really felt that we all mourned with the family, even though our pain can't even come close to theirs. We mourn with them, and we still mourn. And actually, Time Out Properties donated a double wide to the family, and I know of other community members who gave them furniture and clothes and money you know, these things can never replace Anya, but I'm sure it was meaningful for the family. 
And you know, Chelsea, when we were first discussing which cases to cover for this podcast, this was one of the first ones that we talked about. And even though Anya is not Native American in the sense that she's not indigenous to the land that we call the United States, her family is still indigenous to Central America. So Anya is an indigenous person. And this case just rocked our community. And so many Lumbee people were involved in it as either witnesses or in solving it or in trying to help the family in the aftermath, you know. So we just felt that this case was very, very important to share. And also the tribal chairman of the Lumbee tribe and his wife attended the funeral and sat kind of behind the pulpit area to show that the Lumbee people stand in total solidarity with the family. And as a reminder, Anya's murder was 100% preventable. His DNA was in the system. Uh, The 2016 rape kit was never tested and he should have already been in jail for that rape. In the backlog is an organization that's dedicated to committing to get all rape kits tested and you can donate to them at inthebacklog.org. Yes, 